This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. Hey, we're continuing our series in the book of Acts. So go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And we're going to step through this chapter. It's going to be a lot to cover. So stick with me and we're going to, we're going to go through this. Some chapters we kind of just do a section. This one's really a full story in itself, the whole chapter. And so we've, we've got to really cover it all to kind of get everything we need. Uh, let me bring you up to speed. Uh, what we do is we try to do our best to preach through books of the Bible here. And we try to do verse by verse. Again, we don't have every verse, but when we do teach, we try to teach through that. And I want to bring you up to speed as far as the book of Acts. What, what you'll see is the very first book, really, this is a, a two-part, uh, one, one, one book, two parts. Luke, Luke, I'm sorry if I can talk right this morning. Luke uh, is the author, and he wrote the book of Luke. And then the second half of that is Acts. So it's really two volumes of one, one giant book. It's the beginning of Jesus' work and the continuation of Jesus' work. And you see that by the very entry at the beginning of each of those uh, books, how, how he's writing and who he's writing to. But the, the theme of this whole book, you'll find in Acts 1.8, where it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And what we see is God spending time, or Jesus spending time with his believers, and then ascending and then asking them to go and make disciples, right? Giving them all authority and power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And what we see all right out the gate, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit ascending on the day of Pentecost. We see uh, wind, we see fire, we see a miracle. We see God using his people to speak to other people in their native tongue. And we see Peter standing up and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And through that, Thousands of people get saved. Thousands are added to the church. And then right away, we see in the next chapter, we see them healing a lame person. And then again, again, another opportunity through serving the community, preaching the gospel, and more people come. Well, that causes some problems because uh, Judaism is um, really based on works. And so they were very frustrated about the, the way they called it and Jesus followers. So they tried to arrest them, detain them, and then only good comes out of that um, because, again, they're able to proclaim the good news. And what we see in Acts 4.13, it's probably one of the, my favorite verses in the New Testament. It says that they saw that these people were unschooled, ordinary people, if you will, but they could tell they had been with Jesus. And that's what I believe the world needs. I believe it doesn't matter your background. You can be an educated person or uneducated, but if you spend time with Jesus and you let that flow out of your life, you're going to see the effects of that all around you. Jesus, as he came here on earth, he brought heaven to earth. And that's really our goal is to expand his kingdom. Everywhere he went, he defeated um, the works of the enemy. And ultimately through the cross, he defeated the works of the enemy. So we're to be his hands and feet and take a little piece of heaven everywhere we go. And then we see Ananias and Sapphira. We see God wanting to protect his church. And basically this, these people who were rejecting one thing and living a different lifestyle God punished. And then we see through the uh, stoning of Stephen, again, the persecution of the church through Saul. And then we also see Philip uh, lead the eunuch to, to Christ. And then we eventually see last week, we saw Saul on the road to Damascus. And we see who was a terrorist, someone who was persecuting church, murdering Christians, uh, 
imprisoning them, he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And his, his life was turned upside down. He did a 180. And then he began to immediately proclaim the gospel. And now we'll see for a couple more chapters, they'll focus uh, away from uh, Saul, who, who eventually became Paul. And then we'll go back, and he'll kind of be the main figure through uh, the rest of the, the, the uh, book of Acts, spreading the good news to the ends of the earth. So we'll see this. And, and when we read the story, we're going to read sections of it at a time, and then I'll kind of break that down. But I, I want you to understand, when you, when you hear the story today, I don't want you just to see the, the con conversion of Cornelius, um, but I want you to see also, if you will, the conversion of Peter. Now, you say that, well, wasn't Peter already Christian? Absolutely. But there were some things that God needed to reform in his heart. And I want you to know, even if you're a believer today, there's that journey of sanctification, that journey that God is always uh, pricking on our hearts and conforming and reforming our heart because it's real easy to slip into either really cheap grace, you know, take the freedom in Christ that we have and know that we're saved by grace through faith and, and then kind of drift away and just say, well, we're saved by grace. Does, does works really matter? Does good living really matter? And Paul would say, by, by no means should we continue to sin, right? But we should live because now we're free from the the uh, power of sin, but then we shouldn't fall into, as we see Peter today, talk about it's, it's Jesus plus, right? It's Jesus and Christ alone, faith alone, by grace alone. And so we, we, when we see this, I want you to kind of unpack that and see that. I want you to also see that the first chapters two through seven really, really focus on Jerusalem. Now we see through the book of uh, chapter eight through chapter 12 is focused on Judea, Samaria, and then eventually from 13 to 28, We'll see to the ends of the earth. Here's my big idea this morning. It goes like this. The gospel is for all of mankind. God allows no provision for bigotry in his kingdom. Let me say that again. The gospel is for all of mankind, and God allows no provision for bigotry in his kingdom. And really, we're going to see some of that in Peter, but immediately God taps his heart, and he does an about face on that. Uh, I want to, if you, if you don't mind, turn to James 2. I, I want to read a section for you. This is a, a sermon I preached months ago, and you can, you can go to um, our online, either on our website at spotswoodls.org, or you can go to our YouTube channel and find that, uh, listen to that sermon. But I, I want to highlight uh, James chapter 2, because this is similar in nature, but it's different. So this is what James says. James says, 1 through 13, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus. Clothing comes, um, clothing comes into your assembly. I'm sorry, let me back up. Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. If a man wearing gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and says, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over here or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? 
If you were really uh, fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who says, do not commit adultery, also says, do not murder. If you do not murder, or if you do not commit adultery but murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as to who are to, ju- to be judged under the law of liberty. For the judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Listen, let me, let me say it this way. This is a little slight different than what I said. But this is what I get out of this, that text. I believe God is saying to us, as Jesus followers, we need to recognize that God show. I'm sorry, we need to re- recognize that showing partiality or favoritism is an enemy of the gospel. It's an enemy of the gospel. And we are to, in no way, shape, or form, build a caste system or some type of hierarchy within the kingdom of God. Now, God puts in place leaders in the church. We, we see that scriptural, okay? And, and there are um, elders and there's deacons and there's other leaders within the church. That's not a hierarchy. That's leadership. And the same standard that I'm held to, you're held to. In other words, I, even though I'm a shepherd, I'm still a sheep. And there's men around me that keep me accountable for how I live my life. Now, understand is those who are elders have a higher standard in that sense because they're teaching the word, they're administering the gifts, uh, empowering the, uh, the, the people to do the work of the ministry. But I'm still, a sh- I'm still a sheep just like you are. And so understanding that there's no hierarchy here, there's just a leadership structure. But understanding that God has no place for bigotry, partiality, Okay, or favoritism in his kingdom. Now, as we read through the text, I want to highlight a few things as we read. This is a, a great story about the gospel and God reaching those who seem to be unreachable in the context of this day and time. In verse 1 in chapter 10, it says this, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God, who, an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel spoke to him, had departed, he called two two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The first thing I, I want you to see in this is this. This is a centurion. If you don't know what a centurion was, he was a soldier. Now, he was over 100 men. So he wasn't just any normal soldier. In fact, if you look up kind of the history of centurions, you'll see that these guys were uh, violent. I mean, violent. They were, they were men of courage. 
They were men of valor, okay? Uh, they were men who loved adventure, but they were also men who were able to keep calm and keep collective under the heat of battle. I mean, these guys were guys, you didn't just put anybody in this position. You put these guys, they were leader of leaders, okay? If you've met any Marines or any guys who are in the Army or the Navy or the Air Force, I've been around a lot of Marines for the last 14 years because I served as a high school pastor for 13 years at Spotswood. And I'll tell you, I had a ton of guys. Now, nothing against the Air Force and Army. My dad retired Army. He was also in the Air Force. And all those guys are great. There was something about some of those Marines that I encountered just make great leaders. They, they learned uh, in and out off the battlefield how to lead. And this is what I envisioned this guy being a Cornelius. This guy would have been over 100. There would have been 60 of these centurions in a legion, so 6,000 uh, men. Basically, if you will, an aircraft carrier full of soldiers. That's about, about how many uh, soldiers are on an aircraft carrier, 6,000. And what we see really is centurions really in the scriptures favored greatly. And I don't mean that from a favoritism standpoint. They're always given in good light is what I mean. And you see in Luke 7 where centurion comes to Jesus and says, hey, one of my, my servants uh, are sick. And he says, hey, I'll, can you come to my house? And, and he goes, yeah, I'll go to your house. And then he stops and says, listen, you don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word. I'm a soldier. If my commander gives me an order, I go and do it. And he, he, he prays the centurion and said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Jerusalem. And then we see another picture in Matthew 27 at the crucifixion. And he saw Jesus being crucified and he said, surely this is the son of God. He recognized Jesus as the one and only son of God. We see in the text where it says that he feared God. It, that was a term God-fearer that they used a lot in the New Testament. Basically what it meant was these people had switched from a polytheism of, of the Romans where they just believe in all these little gods, if you will, and they put faith in one true living God. So they, they believed in one God over everything. And so he gave alms. He prayed continually. Um, he would have been a proselyte of the gate meaning he did everything but circumcision. Okay, at 30-some years old, that probably would have been tough. So he chose not to go that route. Uh, and, and so we see that he's at Caesarea. Caesarea Marita, uh, Maritama uh, is basically two Caesareas, one at Philippi, which was north, both named after Caesar. What I want you to see in this moment, though, is you see a guy who was beginning to be busy with religious things. So what I, what I want to bring out is this. Religious activities wasn't enough. See, it's about being reconciled to our creator. It's about being born again. And religious activities just don't do it. We can, we can come here and gather, and we can check off the list. We can go and read our Bible and check off the list. We can uh, help our community and check off the list. But unless you have a relationship with Christ... Unless you've been born again, unless the Spirit of God is living in you and you've accepted Christ alone, by faith alone, through the glory of God alone, and repented of your sins and put trust in Him, the Scripture says you're still dead in your sins. So it's by faith that you put trust in the Spirit of God coming and living in you and making you brand new. See, somehow the divine election of God and human responsibility are both clearly teach, taught in Scripture. How that works out? I don't always know, but I can tell you God initiates salvation 
We'll see all through the book of Acts, God is the one always initiating salvation. He's the one pursuing us. If you have any desire to know God, it's because the Spirit of God is always already working in you. We see verse 3 and 4, it says that they were the ninth hour. It would have been 3 p.m. And by the way, very clearly we see that this is the guy who was a soldier. I imagine, um, you know, I think about guys that are on the battlefield. We've seen movies. Uh, uh, some of you guys know maybe special force guys or soldiers that have been in combat. And these guys aren't scared of much, are they? I mean, these guys can handle themselves. They're calm and collective in the heat of battle. But we see this guy who I'm sure has seen a lot of death and probably even taken many people's lives in battle. But we see this guy scared when this angel shows up. Scared. He's frightened. By the way, there is no way that angels look like Cupid. Okay, I just want you to know that. Okay? They don't have a little diaper on. Uh, floating around with, uh, you know, a little cute little kid bow or something like that. Uh, that is not an angel. In fact, every time you see an angel mentioned in scripture, people fall flat on their face. Fear of God. I, I remember years ago, Michelle and I were visiting family out in Colorado and there was this church there and they, it was a, it was a mega church and we were just, we wanted to go check it out. Right. And so we walked through in this foyer, they had a giant foyer and they had like a, a kind of a figurine, if you will, or, or almost like a, a, a bust of this angel, right? Like Michael, Gabriel. And I'm telling you, these things were, they were awesome. And it looked like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but with wings on, right? And I thought, wow, these guys got it right. These, this is what an angel would have looked like. He would have brought terror in the eyes and the hearts of men. And I think we, we get this warped view that angels are just this little sweet thing that floats around and does God work. No. They're, they're warriors. We see them in the Old Testament going about doing the work and many times in battle uh, slain, right? And taking out whole armies, just one angel. And so we see that and even in the end times we see uh, in the book of Revelation. But the, the angels are not Cupid, okay? Uh, they, they, are, they are angels. They are beings that are so much more than what we dream about or think about, and they bring terror in the hearts of men. Um, what I notice here is this. I see a man, Cornelius, who is humbling himself. Even does, He doesn't really know God yet. He doesn't know that Jesus is the one true uh, and one and only Son of God. He is beginning to progress, if you will, pursuing God-fearer, coming to knowledge through the Holy Spirit drawing him. And what we see right out the gate is this. God responds to a humble heart. I think the first thing, if you don't know Christ, you need to understand that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. The first step toward God is a humble heart, is a broken and contrite heart. A heart saying, I can't fix myself. I can't save myself. I can't rescue myself. I can't clean myself up. You have to do that, God. And the only one who can do that is Jesus Christ through his work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. And see, guys, we get so involved in trying to clean ourselves up. This is what we see Adam and Eve. They immediately put on the, the, the fig leaves, right? And they start trying to cover themselves up, to clean themselves up. Because we're broken within ourselves. We broke our relationship with God. We broke our relationship with each other through sin. 
But God comes, he restores us to be fully alive in him. Now we have the spirit of the living God. We can be fully alive, fully human. Now we can have a relationship with our creator, and we can also have a relationship with others. Um, God honoring relationships. So God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And this is what we see um, the centurion doing Cornelius. He was humbling himself before an almighty God. God has given us the privilege and the responsibility to share the gospel. It's, it's amazing to me when, when we see through the book of Acts, we see these angels show up, we see visions, and people have. And do you know every one of those circumstances, okay, except for all we get to the end of the book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 14, none of those angels ever share the gospel. They point them to a person, right? Even Jesus, when he showed up, with Saul, he pointed him to go somewhere and someone's going to show up. He's going to share the gospel. See, God has given us the privilege and the responsibility to share the gospel. I don't know why he does it this way. He uses us broken vessels to carry out the living water, but that's what he does. And we have a great responsibility and a great privilege to share the gospel with everyone around us. And listen, I'm not saying you go up to them and you just thump them on the head and, you know, um, just tell them they're going to go to hell if they don't turn, right? That's not, the, that's what I'm not talking, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? What I'm talking about is you build a bridge of a relationship that you care for those people, you love them, you begin to be kind to them, you serve them, and guess what? Over time, there's a relationship that's going to bond there. And over time, you're going to be able to put the weight of the gospel on that. Now, I understand there's going to be those times where we saw where Philip and the eunuch, where there's going to be that moment where God's going to take you for a moment, situation where you're going to share, maybe it's on an airplane trip, or maybe it's on a, a, a trip, you're going um, out of state for work or whatever. There's going to be those moments. I get that. You're only going to be with this person one time. You'll never see him again. There may be those times. But I'm talking about on that ongoing lifestyle, how we live. We want to, this is why we serve our community, guys. This is why we're doing the Easter egg thing. This is why we serve MES. We try to find creative ways to love on them. Not because they'll like us more, not because they'll somehow give us more favor. We do that because we want to share the love of Jesus. There's going to be times where there are people who say, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep on serving us? Why are you nice to us? Why do you? And guess what? We say, because God first loved us. God loved us first. And he loves you, and he cares about you, and he has a plan and a purpose for you. First of all, he wants you to know his son. He wants, to be, he wants you to be reconciled to him. And through the gospel, we can begin to share. This is what we see. In verses 5 through 8, it says that um, they went down, uh, or they were given orders to go to Joppa. That's known as Joppa now. It's just south of Tel Aviv. I've been to Tel Aviv, and it's beautiful. It's right on the ocean. And this is what the orders that he got to go. And then let's read verses 9 through 16. It says this, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up and on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were repairing it, he fell into a trance and saw the, angel, the heavens open up, something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners of, upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, 
Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Okay? Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So we see Peter at the sixth hour, which would have been around noon the next day, and um, we see him obviously waiting for dinner. Uh, I don't know if you've ever dreamed about food. I don't know if I have or not, but here, here we have uh, Peter fall into a trance about food. I can only imagine maybe, you know, we're used to eating cow or uh, we're used to eating chicken or all of a sudden now your household dog slides down on the sheet or your cat and says, God says, rise and kill and eat. Uh, it'd be kind of tough, wouldn't it? Yeah, we're not used to that. Uh, you go to certain countries, you probably got uh, dogs hanging in the meat market, but I'm not necessarily fond of that. I guess if I had to go there and serve, I would learn to adjust. I just, I remember, this is a funny story. We, Michelle and I happened to serve a, a church that was being planted in Egypt. This was long before um, the Arab Spring, and so things were, they were definitely uh, kind of uh, dangerous, but uh, we were there with a group of people, and, uh, but it was a lot safer than it is right now. But uh, I remember us going to a market where we had fresh uh, fish, and, and they, we got to pick out our fish on, on the ice, so we picked it out. We thought, you know, they're coming out with the fish, and it's going to be flayed. Well, it's coming out whole. I mean, everything but the guts. They took it out, and they just laid it in front of you. And Michelle had to take a napkin and, like, put, the, put it over the head. She just, she said, the eyes were staring at her. She could not do that. So, uh, anyway. But I would eat the native food there. Don't go to a hamburger place that's supposed to be an American hamburger place there because that, that didn't work out too, too good for me. So, anyway, just, just a warning. If you go to countries, go ahead and just eat the native food. It's probably better than some of the American food there because it just didn't get cooked real well. So, uh, anyway, what we see there is this. But what we need to understand is this. What God was saying is as he, he lowered this sheet-type imagery, it's the four corners of the earth. Think about that. The expansion of all the earth, all of mankind. And what God was really trying to get to Peter is this. That it's not about changing Peter's diet. It's about changing Peter's heart. See? And Peter somehow, even though... Jesus taught, and we see this over and over with Peter, and I totally agree and, and relate to Peter because I'm one of these guys that seem not to get it the first time. I got to hear it over and over and over again. But we see this pattern with Peter, right? He, he hears things, and then he's got to hear it a second time and a third time, right, over and over again because he just doesn't get it the first time. And it's ironic to me that Peter says, <laughs> he says to to God, he says, by no means Lord. Well, let me think about, think about something for a minute. If he's Lord, how do you get to say no? Right? But we do that, don't we? God calls us to do something, but wait, Lord, wait. Well, if he's Lord, he gets yeses, not no's. Okay? So I, it, it's, it's funny to me, again, I can relate to this, okay? Peter's a guy who doesn't seem to get it right away, but we see God wanting to change Peter's heart. In fact, it says, Romans 12, 11 says, there is no partiality with God. 
In fact, Romans 3.28 says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are, for you are all, all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are, um, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now listen, this is what happened with Peter. Peter had, in some ways, fallen back into believing that salvation and the gospel was somehow just for the Jews, right? And that somehow there was beginning, and we, we see this through the New Testament. Paul has to rebuke Peter again, but we see them kind of wanting to somehow, if you will, blend the gospel, okay, with the, the Old Testament laws. You got to do this, this, and this with the grace of God. Well, it wouldn't be grace if you could keep it on the law, right? So let, let me read to you something um, that was written to the church in Galatia. This is what uh, the writer saying. He says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed and cr as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you who works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Listen to this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So understanding Abraham was justified by faith, pointing to the person and work of Jesus Christ, not by the law. It says here, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith rather than the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In other words, he took the punishment for us on the cross. The wrath of God was satisfied on the cross. We can't add to that. Okay? We, by faith, believe it, and we're given Christ's righteousness. Now when he looks upon us, he sees the righteousness of Christ in our lives. Okay? It's not works. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might, become to the, might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So we see Peter getting things mixed up, because it's by Christ alone, through faith alone, by the grace of God alone. And by the way, if you want to listen to that, we've, we've got a series on Here We Stand. 
And you can look that up as well. We've preached on all of those in the scripture alone and to the glory of God alone. Um, but anyway, this is what we see Peter getting things mixed up. We see Matthew 15, 11 says this. This is Jesus. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but that what comes out of the mouth that defiles them. In other words, if we live the life that is born again, we'll be transformed. But as I said last week, before we had kids, there was no signs of life. Now we have kids, there's all kinds of signs of life. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but there are signs of new life in us that we're living by the grace of God. Let me ask you something, and this is what I believe is happening in Peter. Peter, God was working in Peter's life to give him this vision, to send him to Cornelius for a work, not just in Cornelius' heart, but in a work in his own heart. I want you to ask yourself this question. Have you ever thought that God uses other people who are extraordinarily different than you to remind you of the gospel fundamentals? Think about that for a moment. I think God sends people to us <laughs> that sometimes get on our last nerve <laughs> or sometimes that are just so different, maybe culturally, maybe upbringing, uh, maybe background, maybe history, whatever it may be. Uh, and, and what God is doing is he is using that person to bring you along as well. I believe God uses everything to, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He works his circumstances. He works believers and non-believers. He, he works all these things out to bring about. And this is what was happening. See, Philip, the evangelist, was probably closer to Cornelius. If you go back and look, you see Cornelius was probably just down the block. So why did he take Peter? I believe he used Peter to do a work in his heart. See, God needed to remind Peter of something. Peter, do you remember those times where I told you to cast your net over here and you said no, but then you went ahead and believed me and trusted me and you did it, look at the catch. Remember that time where, Peter, I asked you, who do people say I am? Or who do you say that I am? You said you're all the one true God. You are the one and only son of God. And I said, upon this rock, I should build my truth. That means that, that truth, that principle, that I am the son of God. But also God used Peter to build the first century church. But then right away, he was trying to talk him out of going to the cross. And he said, get thee behind me, Satan. And you remember that time, Peter, where I said to you, I prayed, you, prayed for you, and, and Satan has asked to sift you, but don't. Don't be discouraged. Take heart. I prayed for you. And three times you're going to die on me. And you said, never. I'll die for you. And sure enough, you, you, you denied me three times. And guess what I did? I took you on the beach and fixed you breakfast. And I said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me three times? And you said, yes. You know everything. You know I love you. And he was reminding him of where he used to be and that this good news was for all. See, God has to remind us that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not because somehow we're better than someone or we're born in a certain family or a certain status or a certain country. God loves us all. He wants to rescue. And you know what I'm amazed in this text, and I've got to fly through this, is, is this. God wants to use us to rescue other people. He's the one who does the work but he chooses to allow us to be a part. He says this, verse 17, Now, while Peter was inward, inwardly perplexed, 
as to what the vision that had been seen might uh, mean. Behold, the men who were with Cornel, uh, sent by Cornelius, having made inquiries for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I sent them. Um, and Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your, your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man, who is well-spoken about the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send, uh, to send for you and to come to his house and to hear what he has to say. So he invited them in as guests. Let me, let me ask you something. Well, let, me, let me encourage you. God leads us by faith. You understand that? The best way for me to describe it, I, I'm a big outdoorsman. I love, to, I love to hunt. I primarily love to bow hunt. And I usually get up an hour and a half, maybe can't hunt. You can try to get in the woods about an hour before daylight, maybe an hour and a half. You, you got to walk in before you get to your stand. And I just sit in that stand. But what's interesting is I use a, a headlamp. And when it's really dark, I'm not talking about when the moon's out, but when there's, there's no moon or cloud cover, you walk in. There's certain places there's dark, Okay. And what I can see is I can see just about a, a step or two in front of me, maybe five or ten feet. That's, that's how God works. He, he almost, it's almost like he uses the, the, the breadcrumb trail. You know, he lays out a little bit here, and you walk by faith, and then a little bit here, and you walk by faith. And that's how God tends to work. And let me ask you something. Are you inviting people into your life? I mean... Like, like Peter, who in lots of ways, as a Jew, it would have been considered kind of taboo to bring a Gentile into your house. But are you inviting people into your lives? Are you inviting them to, to be a part of this journey? Whether they're a believer or not, again, maybe earning that right to be heard by them. Are you, are you working and pursuing people to be a part of that? This is what I noticed. Um, when we see in verses 23 through 29, we see this. Um, the next day he arose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day he entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I too am a man. Now, I'm going to pause there for a moment. This is what I know. Here's a guy who wasn't a believer yet, just a God-fearer, and he invited his family and friends. He knew life change was happening in his heart. And this is what I know. When life change happens in your life, you cannot keep quiet, and you're not ashamed of it. And you're not ashamed to bring others to be a part of it. And this is what was happening. We see right here, he fell down and tried to worship Peter. And people throughout history, unfortunately, even in the church, have tried to make people divine. They're not. Okay? And so you have one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. No saints, no individuals, no pastors, preachers, no one. Missionaries, okay? It's only one mediator. Okay? I just want you to know that there, um, 
even though God sent Peter, he is just a man. It says here, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for me, a Jew, to associate with associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean so that so when I, I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you, you sent for me. It's funny. He, he kind of makes himself in, in good light there. I, I think he objected a few times. But anyway, uh, you know what's amazing is this. Even though God calls and has created people in his image, there's, there's this, it's almost like this balance. We, as individuals, these bodies were temporal, okay? Uh, the Bible says that we're here today and gone tomorrow. We're, we're like a vapor, but we have eternal soul that will live forever. So we're made in the very image of God. We're image bearers, or mago day, okay? So we're both temporal in some sense, because we're here for a short season. This is not our eternity. You're either be in heaven or hell forever, okay? We're made for eternity, but we're also, so we're temporal, but we're also eternal in that sense, okay? We're created, but listen, this is what C.S. Lewis says this. There's no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, they are mortal, and life is to ours as life of a, of a gnat, but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but a merriment must be of that kind, and it is in the fact of the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No, no flippancy, no superiority, and no presuppositions, okay? So in other words, we're to value life, we're to value each other because we're made in the image of God, but understanding that we, in some ways, are like vapor. This is it. And it's interesting to me that we see Peter already beginning, his heart beginning to soften and see that God was using him to expand to the ends of the earth. I got to wrap up quickly. And then down verses 30 through, I'm going to read through the, the rest of it. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been uh, commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. And in every nation, anyone who fears in him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the, and as for the word that was sent uh, to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from uh, Galilee after the baptism that um, John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
and we are witnesses of all that he, uh, he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him uh, to appear, not, not to all the people, but to those uh, who he had chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose uh, from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one anointed by, appointed by God to, be, to preach to the people, I'm sorry, and judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witnesses that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had heard the word and the believers from among, I'm sorry, and come, I keep sorry, sorry about that, and had come with Peter uh, were amazed because of the gift of the Spirit poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptism, uh, for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he asked, then they asked him to, uh, to remain for some days. So what I'll wrap up with is this. <laughs> for us to share the gospel, we have to open our mouths and talk. Okay, I mean, we understand that we need to serve people and love people, but we also need to open our mouths. It's very clear that we don't see this big, elaborate uh, preaching from Peter. We see that in the first couple sermons because he was going back in Jewish history to show where everything in the Old Testament pointed to the personal work of Jesus. But here he started, picked up with uh, Jesus being baptized and took it through the gospel. And what, it, what you see here is this, that God requires a humble heart. God anointed his, his son, Jesus. Jesus came to crush Satan, ultimately paying the price for our rebellion. Jesus defeated death, sin, and the grave. Jesus has the final say, both to judge the living and the dead. And Jesus can forgive your sins. And this is what we see. The power of the Holy Spirit fell upon them, filled them, and they were baptized. Let me ask you this question. This is the big question for the day. Have you experienced the power of the gospel in your life? And if so, are, what are the hurdles that are keeping you from sharing that with others? Because listen, we all have them. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's not wanting to be embarrassed. Maybe it's maybe thinking we don't have all the answers. Um, but God is sending people like Cornelius in our lives, to minister to them, to share the good news. Listen, we're just delivery boys. That's all we are. Delivery girls, if you will, okay? Whatever it is, we're just bringing the news. There's going to be some people that are upset about that. There are going to be others that receive the pardon of Christ. And listen, you've gained a brother or sister. If God has done life changing you, don't keep quiet because the gospel's for all without any kind of a partiality or favoritism. Will you stand? As we close in a song, I just want you to know there'll be people up here you can pray with. They can encourage you if you want to know more about Christ, what it means to give your life to Christ, to, to get baptized. We want to share with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the work that you're doing. 
God, thank you for this picture, um, Peter and Cornelius, how you softened Cornelius' heart. God, you brought him to faith through a, a man who is broken just like all of us, but you used to bring the living water uh, of Jesus Christ to him. And God, you even taught Peter in the midst of that. God, how his heart had, had drifted and somehow attached something to the gospel. And so, Father, I just pray that as we're here today, God, that we will be open and honest, authentic with, with you, with ourselves, with each other. And God, if there's any need we have, God, I pray that we'll bring them before you. And God, that we'll be able to care for them, love them, and God, point them to you. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Lady Smith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. These podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. You can also find the video version of the podcast on our YouTube channel. Just go to SpotswoodLS.org and click the YouTube link. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.